is the Oil Country Podcast. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. Hello, 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 Oilers fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil Country Podcast. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. As always, I'm your host, John. Joining me is my co-host, Kyle. Kyle, how are you doing, man? Okay. You know, watching the world of COVID coming back around me, but uh, I'm chilling. <laughs> wow, just like a bunch of dread right at the start of this, this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> man, I've had my, uh, I had my first day off today in like a few weeks, and it was, oh man, it was so nice to sleep in until like nine. It was absolutely glorious. But yesterday, I was doing a little bit of meal prep, and I set the fire alarm off in my hotel. So that was nice. that was terrific. Dad, um, did you actually burn something, or was well, it just like the fire alarm is way too sensitive? No, no, it was a fair amount of smoke in my in my room. Um, <laughs> I was like sautéing some Brussels sprouts on a like hot plate because we don't have an. Um, it's like a kitchen app, but we don't have the uh, um, a full like oven a stove. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so I sautéing some Brussels sprouts, and I I think you tested it out too, Kyle, but. I've been doing like kind of one of those HelloFresh things, testing it out because I've working such long days. It's nice to have just all the meals planned out and to like caramelize them. You had to add like maple, a little bit of maple syrup mixed with water. And I had it all mixed in and I'm like, okay, this won't be like too bad. I don't, I don't think this will burn very quickly. Burners on like medium low. And as soon as I touched the thing, it was just like smoke fucking everywhere and to add a little bit more complication to this, I was cooking in my boxers and a t-shirt on. So the fire alarm's going off all over the hotel. I'm thinking I'm going to have to go down. So I'm like panicking to put my fucking sweatpants on while calling down to the front desk being like, hey, can you shut the alarm off? Like, I'm just, there's no, there's fire. no fire. It's just I'm good. Smoke. Yeah. Don't have everybody fucking evacuate so yeah it was it was kind of a clusterfuck not my not my smartest moment and like the the to be fair there's not really any ventilation like you can't open the window in here and i mean it was my f up but they were like turn the microwave fan on but it's not vented into the wall it's just like it goes through the filters and blows up the top of the microwave so i'm like And I mean, it's a fair suggestion. Like, I'm not ripping on the girl for telling me to do that. But I'm like, it's already on full blow. And I can see the smoke getting, like, sucked in and then blown and out the top the of the microwave <laughs> right at the goddamn smoke alarm. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't think that's doing any good. <laughs> but yeah, that's my uh, that's my F up for the week. You you make any F ups, Kyle? Oh, man. I was so hoping that the hotel got evacuated because of it. Oh, that would No, luckily I, like... I opened the door, like the front door to my room to the hallway and just let it air out. And I like poked my head out and luckily the hotel's not very full. It's like probably less than 30% full. And I looked down the hallway and no one was leaving. So they obviously didn't care enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's sweet. Well, uh, yeah, yeah no, I didn't, fun. I didn't get up to much, dude. I've just been hanging out. I got a, a new job that I've been, you know, getting to, which I told you about off air. So Yep, congrats. Um, yeah, liking that. Um, hopefully, businesses stay open again now because uh, it would kind of suck to lose that after I just got it. But yeah, you know. no kidding. Are you in the um, still in the bar side or more of a restaurant side now? Um, roll restaurant side now, but it's okay. like it's like an upper class lounge pub where I am. Nice right now. Yeah, it's sweet. It's a nice place. You will have to come check it out sometime. Nice like rooftop patio and whatnot. Yeah, if the uh... If the COVID cordon, or uh, COVID, COVID numbers settle down a little bit, um, I'd love to come and visit. Then you can be some free shots again, right? Of course, every time, dude. <laughs> okay, but uh, enough of the small talk. Let's uh, let's get into some hockey and Oilers discussion here. So first things first, Dallas and the Lightning in the Stanley Cup final. I think I know I had Dallas in the in the uh, conference finals. Did you as well? Yeah, I've picked them. Well, 
I know you uh, have no, to I mean, I, I wanted Vegas to win. I was cheering for Vegas. Vegas. Sorry, I chose them, but I chose uh, Dallas before that over Colorado. Right. Yeah. Which is a pretty big upset, but anyway. So yeah, I'm. I was two for two, and you were better in the round before. Um, but yeah, that's uh, honestly. The, I think this is set up to be a really good Stanley Cup final. But you know, we're recording Sunday here, and and game one, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but. 4-1 Dallas won that game, which is, again, I didn't see it, so I'm a little I'm talking out of my ass a little bit, but I'm surprised it wasn't closer. I know, I believe it was 1-1 after the first period, but, you know. Yeah, you know, I again was at work, down, so I really, I missed a lot of it. And I was checking the TV here and there, but not enough that I know what happened in that game. Um, but yeah, again, like the Stars just surprising everybody, right? Like people would have thought that they went out against Calgary. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping for them to win. It'd be awesome to see an underdog just go all the way through the playoffs. That's kind of what our role was back in, you know, 2000. I mean, yeah, not, I guess not to quite the same degree because they were one of the top four um, to skip the buy-in, but still, or to the play-in. For sure, but just being that, yeah, (laughs) not eighth seed, but just the underdog, like, the whole way through the playoffs, right? Yeah, very few people were taking them as a legit contender. Like, you heard the, you know, the occasional analyst saying that he really felt Dallas could make a run, but the vast majority were not predicting them to go far. Um, So you say you're cheering for Dallas and you think they'll win? I mean... Yes, I'm cheering for them. I, I, man, like the Lightning have so much talent on that team. It'd be crazy for them not to beat the Stars. But then you say that about Vegas. You say that about Colorado too. You said that about Columbus last year, like against the Lightning. Right? I mean, it's just yeah. Uh, I mean, could can you imagine another collapse? Could you imagine if the Stars were able to sweep the Lightning in the? Like I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah, that would be, wild. I don't think so either. But if it does happen, man, like I'm happy. I'm not a lightning fan to get all the shit talk that's headed that way. I think the big thing for that team though, for the lightning is just like, even if they lose, it's a huge monkey off their back right now. Right. After like disappointing season after disappointing season, it almost reminds me a little bit of Washington before they won their cup two years ago, where they were always kind of touted as this favorite but we're just never really able to make it through the second round. And I mean, I know the lightning have been pretty much contenders for the vast majority of the last 10 years, but you know, it is one of those things that I think this is still as disappointing as it would be for them and their fans. It's still a huge step forward. Just being able to be like, okay, we didn't get knocked out in the first or second round. We made a legit run. Now, how do we tinker with our lineup in a flat cap afterwards? But Personally, I, I've still got the Lightning, even with Dallas taking first the first game, and I'm actually rooting for them as well. I have no problem if Dallas wins, but I really like, you know, just the way the Lightning, they've really set that standard for team building with proper drafting, proper, proper asset management. They have the advantage of having the low state income tax, or I believe it's actually no state income tax. So that's a huge advantage, but they use they use that, and their cab management is superb. I'm not gonna lie; I feel a little bit bad for Steve Eiserman, but I mean, he knew very well that he was going from a contender that he had built to a rebuilding team. So I mean, I can't really feel too too bad for him. But I've got I've got the Lightning in six, even with um, even with losing game one. I think they're gonna win four of the next five. Yeah, I again, I could go either way. Yeah, like who knows? The stars can impress. The lightning should win I, again, but yeah, I like I don't know. Like, it feels Dallas, like the stars are in line right now, you know? They are, and they're they're like they're such streaky scores, which has been their biggest downfall, but they've just been grooving this whole playoffs getting clutch performances from guys that have really stepped up and weren't really expected to perform that much. Well, so, who I mean, was the kid that got, like, the hat trick like in Game Timmy 7 Ranta or something? Is that like, his name? Yeah, Give like some no-name scratch, right? And comes in. He was... Dude, he was one of the... I, he was one was of he? the kids that was going to get called. He he won the silver medal or something in the World Juniors, too? But, I'm, not, I'm not aware of that, to be honest. But yeah. he was... I saw a really cool stat. He's one of only two players to score... 
um, game-winning goals in series-clinching games twice in a playoff run. And he had the hat-trick against, was that against Colorado? Um, Must have been. It was either Vegas or Colorado, anyways. And then had the game-winning goal in the series-clinching against uh, Vegas. So, I mean, man, that's wild. Like, this guy's just having a, a, a playoff run of his life right now. And, I mean, those stories are shit you like to see, man. Like, I can't be, even though I'm not the biggest Dallas fan, I don't really, the only reason I don't really want to see them win is because I don't want to see Corey Perry win another cup. That being said, I'm okay with Sakura winning a cup. Cogliano's there. I'd love to see him get a cup. So, I mean, there's Pavelski. Some, yeah, Pavelski's a big one. That would be awesome to see. And, I mean, I don't know. D- Tampa's got enough, like, really good players where, and I'm trying to think of any, like, older defensemen that this might, or older defensemen or forwards, that this might really be one of their last kicks at the can. Like, McDonough, I guess. Hey, he's not super old, but, yeah, I mean, he's over 30. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really okay with either one winning, but I, I'm really just hoping for a great, great series and hopefully you get some drama and actually a game six or a game seven in this one. Cause I mean, as a, as a neutral hockey fan, I think everybody wants to see that unless, unless you have some hatred for one team or another, but then I guess that makes you kind of not neutral. Yeah. No, but, I just want to watch good hockey. That's all. Exactly. Um, another thing I wanted to, I was telling you about this off air. I saw this on Reddit, man. I think it was going around Twitter too. So I'm sure a lot of people are aware but this crazy, crazy stat. So a teammate of Yermer Yager has won the Stanley Cup every single year since 1980 minus 1986 and 2005 when there was obviously no Stanley Cup awarded. That is goddamn insane. And I mean, he's played for a ton of teams and he played for a long time. But still, man, that's absolutely baffling. Like 40 years and both... Tampa and Dallas have former Yermer Yager teammates. So that streak is going to get extended another season. Like it's, it's just nuts to me, man. That's one of the craziest stats I've ever heard. Yeah. Like <laughs> phenomenal. Right. I mean, obviously he played with a ton of people cause he bounced around um, for sure quite a bit. He played, sorry, you said 18 to, but uh, yeah, I think so. But yeah. I mean, for that to continue to be a streak after he's out of the league too, you know, it has not that he's been in the league that long, but but still, man, like, what a phenomenal streak! Forty years, right? And and, and a weird stat at that too. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, like he didn't come into the NHL, I think, until the early nineties. So obviously, like that would yeah be dating back to people he like, played with before. He played with yeah. guys that had won a cup in every mm-hmm. single year, but still, like that's fucking it's fucking crazy, man. Um. <laughs> Let's throw it away to our uh, to a quick promo here for about a minute, and then we're going to jump into some Oilers discussion. Stay tuned, everybody. Are you uh, at Kenny Rogers now? Or no, that's your... No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's just my display name. It's still at Ken State Bar, but... Is Rogers no, your Doug, middle name? Sorry, I don't even know. No, the, you don't know who Kenny Rogers is? The no. gambler? No. What? I'm, I'm a deer in headlights, buddy. I'm a deer God. in headlights. Anyways, Kenny Rogers, very infamous country singer, and also just what the O Dog has deemed my nickname. He just keeps calling me Kenny Rogers or referring to me in the third person as the gambler. So O Dog, he was roasting me the other day on Overdrive on uh, on Labor Day because I shot him a text message during the show. No way! I have to say something, Kenny Rogers. I know you can hear this right now. Don't ever text me on my personal phone. He just texted me and said, I'm doing updates, guy. <laughs> I love it. Good man, Kenny. He's no, in there Kenny. working. <laughs> but he was roasting me on air, man. I was at work doing the updates, and he was saying that I got the day off, so I had to defend my honor. Not Another Leafs podcast. New episodes Mondays on the Hockey Podcast Network. Kyle, I got to say, I've got a couple things here. Number one, I think that's one of the best podcast names that I've heard. Like, there's so, me- so much media coming out of Toronto. Not another Leafs podcast is like 10 out of 10, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, second, no shade or disrespect, but the previous Leafs guy on our network 
was just like super busy. I think he's in like law school or some shit. I've never actually talked to him, but it's going to be so nice to actually have someone that's more available, hopefully on the Leafs side, on the, on the hockey podcast network. Cause I mean, when the Oilers play the Leafs next season, it's always a huge deal with McDavid going home. And I mean, there's a kind of obviously a bit of a rivalry between Toronto and pretty much every team in the league. So I'm really excited to chat with those guys eventually and talk about if they think McDavid's going to go, which obviously he's not and talk about their terrible cap situation and, and trip them a little bit. So I'm really looking forward to that. I can't wait to talk about more Toronto stuff for sure. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> we know you already get it on Sportsnet and TSN all the time, but we're actually going to collab with those guys every episode in season two. So just so you guys get more Maple Leafs content. Yeah, we figured they got the biggest market, so let's capitalize on that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, let's get into some Oilers discussion here. So Nicholson had a quote that's been kind of widely talked about a little bit here this last week. Um, just a little bit of snippet from there. Quote, we're not going to make huge changes, but Ken will tinker with this lineup, end quote. Um, so... It's one of those things where obviously we're in we're in rumor season right now being knocked out of the playoffs and the draft hasn't happened yet. Free agency hasn't happened yet. So there's just a ton of different outcomes that could happen in this next two to three months. Um, so that's kind of the season we're in. So I, th- I thought it was a fairly big deal that Nicholson came out and kind of dampered or dampened those expectations maybe a little bit. Um, do you read into that a lot or do you think this is just press? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's PR in case things don't happen with a big splash deal would be my guess, right? Like you can just say, we're just working around the lineup. Not that I think that a huge move is getting made. I, I know you want to talk about something after this, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see like a $8 million contract coming in here. Um, and if it does, obviously there's a lot that has to go out. Right. So, yeah. um, I, I don't know how much tinkering means is, is yeah. Is it, right. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing. It's all up to our interpretation of it. And I mean, I'm with you where I think it's, I think it's, you know, settling down the expectations a little bit, like you said, just in case that big splash doesn't come, but I wouldn't like, I mean, obviously if the right deal comes up, you know so many teams are going to be looking at shedding salary. There's The vast majority of the league is either up against the cap or presumed to be on an internal cap with owners struggling, i.e. Ottawa, Arizona, Florida, those smaller market teams, or the teams that have financial issues. Um, so, I mean, there's going to be a lot of movement. So, I, I'm not going to say that I think, oh, okay, this is the, the writings on the wall there's not going to be some big moves because I think very well we could see, a, you know, big pieces moving out and big pieces moving in. Minus, obviously, I mean, Drysdale and McDavid are off limits. I think Nuge is very safe. I I, I still think Clefbaum's not going anywhere. Um, speaking of, we ran, after last episode, we discussed it a little bit. We ran a Twitter poll that was just asking our followers whether they would prefer to have Clefbaum at his cap hit at three more three years left at... Um, 4.167, he's age 27, or Clef, or sorry, excuse me, or OEL, Oliver Ekman Larson from Arizona, with seven years left at 8.25, and he is age 29, I believe. And wasn't a huge landslide, but Clefbaum won that with 64%, which honestly, I'm a, a little bit surprised. A lot of fans still want OEL um, over Clefbaum, but I mean, obviously everybody has their own opinion on exactly how good Clefbaum is. There's the injury issues. And then there's obviously the chance that, you know, OEL, even though he's kind of fallen off a little bit of a cliff this last two years, maybe he is that reclamation project and maybe he does get a change of scenery and then he goes back to that legit number one D-man that's a top, you know, 10, 15, 20 D-man in the league, which I, I think Clefbaum's a top 30, 35 D-man in the league when he's healthy. But, you know, when they're both on their game, OEL is obviously the better defenseman, in my opinion. But when you look in this, the age, the salary cap, everything like that, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. But we don't need to dive into that because we did talk about that quite at length in our last episode. But, you know, one of the things 
you mentioned with the Nicholson quote is, you know, bringing in that $8 million guy, you know, if that's possible with obviously some money, a substantial amount of money going out. So I wanted to talk about the Petro situation with Alex Petrangelo and not super specifically to the Oilers, but it's, it's a very interesting thing that happened. And I'll give you, give you a little bit of a breakdown where this week it was reported that there was an offer of $7.7 million from the St. Louis Blues to lock down their franchise defenseman. The weird thing about this is it, is it was reported that St. Louis wouldn't let Petro see the salary breakdown. They wanted him to have a verbal agreement without seeing what the bonus structure was like, which is super weird. I mean, that's a, you're asking this guy to more or less commit without knowing when he's going to get his money, in what um, way he's going to get that money. And I mean, I've got to assume that I don't know what St. Louis's, you know, um, internal financial situation is, but you've got to imagine that if they didn't want him to see that, they're probably not giving him a bunch of upfront bonus money, which you typically see with superstars. They're probably with the flat cap and with the way of the economy right now, I've got to assume that they were pushing some of that money to the back end of that contract, which is obviously a huge red flag from Petro. So now talks have kind of broken down and obviously he hasn't hit the market yet because it's not open and he is still technically has exclusive rights with St. Louis. But now all the rumors have just scattered where now it's looking like he's going to hit the open market. And I mean, I I want your take on this Kyle, but I do want to add one more thing. I like, Less than a year ago, when they acquired Justin Falk from Carolina, they paid him $6.5 million. Now, I understand it's a vastly different situation with the cap right now, but with the flat cap and with the with the financial situation, but I've got to imagine that's a little insulting to Petro when you bring in Falk, who's a capable offensive defenseman, but is nowhere near a complete D-man like Petroangelo is, and you're offering him $1.2 million more and you're not letting him see the salary breakdown and the bonus structure? Like, how could they have possibly thought, other than just hoping that blind loyalty would have him sign there, how could they possibly have thought that that would be a good idea? End rant. What do you think on this? I mean, maybe they didn't want to pay it, and it's a way of forcing him out. I mean, shit, you've got to imagine that you just... You go but yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, they just want a cup. You would have to think that their financial situation isn't doing terrible. And and like, I mean, I don't know what the owners do, like what their other where their money comes from, but like you you've got to have like they just moved out Jake Allen, which is I mean I think he made four point five, but that frees up some money, and I mean, like like Petro's a guy that you're either opening the bank for paying him for his past performance, knowing that he's probably going to turn into a Seabrook Duncan Keith type at the end of his contract, but you're going to pay him and you're going to likely get three to four really good years out of him while your cup windows open. And then once he starts to decline, you're going to rebuild that contract's going to turn into an albatross, but you're rebuilding anyways. Or if that's too much of a risk, you just let him walk. Like I, I almost feel like, like if I'm other players on St. Louis, I'm not overly impressed with how they handled that. Well, agreed. Yeah. And maybe I'm just looking too much into that. Uh, I mean, that's the talks behind the scenes that we never get to hear. Right. Sure. I mean, I'm like definitely what the teammates will talk about. I'm I'm sure they're not impressed with that. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing they're probably just going for blind loyalty for that with him, them not expecting that he'll just go to market and probably even saying that that's what he'll get out at market anyways or more because of COVID. And yeah. I, I mean, mean even though taking... he's, he's obviously worth more than that, he'll be the best player that's available during free agency if he walks. For sure. I think there's so. like, it's like him, Tory Krug, Hall, I mean, that's my top three off the top of my head. Yeah, I might be missing sure. someone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm just looking at their their cap-friendly page. So they're projected at 5.15 million cap space right now. And 
they're more or less locked up. So Troy Brower is a free agent, 35 year old forward. And, uh, Petrangelo is a UFA. And then Vince Dunn is an RFA. Um, now I'll be straight up. I don't know very much about Vince Dunn. No idea what he's going to get paid. And then, but that's it. So when you look at like, obviously 5.125 or one five isn't enough to resign him, but you've got Tyler Bozak at 34. He's got $5 million. Like if I'm them, assuming you want to keep Petro and you're, and you're willing to take that gamble, I'm willing to lose a trade sending Tyler Bozak out, maybe even add a B-level asset to not have money coming back in to jump that salary cap up to 10 million and pay Petro $8.59 million. Like he is a game changing defenseman. So, well, and I mean, I, even, even like Yossi gets just over nine a year and yeah. Petro's easily worth that. If not more, I think they're pretty Like I, I, I put them in the same tier of defensemen. Yeah. Like I think they're both um, great. Number one, but, teammate. uh, uh, how do you think like there's rules against that in the CBA for not showing the structure of a deal? And I mean, asked to accept. It? I'm gonna assume since they didn't do that, obviously not. But I mean, I, I I don't know. I I mean, I think the thing is is like, so from my understanding, they weren't asking him to sign on the dotted line. They were asking him to verbally accept that deal. So. I'm assuming when he signs the contract, he would have to see the breakdown. Like that's going to be something that you can't just have that, like, you know, redacted from the contract and be like, Hey, sign on the line. We'll give you bonuses when we feel like, like that's something that's got to be submitted to the league and to the player and the agent, but to get him to verbally commit, that's just a verbal agreement. I don't think they have to tell him shit because he's not like legally bound to that. But I'm going to assume why they were trying to get a verbal agreement is they were trying to f- figure out the rest of their cap, who they need to move out, who they can afford to bring in, and maybe who can they who can they re-sign a year in advance. So that's why they were trying to get them to verbally commit so they could figure out all their other shit and, and, and to build a plan there. But I've got to say now, you know, bringing this back a little bit specifically to the Oilers, do you think there's any chance in hell of Ken Holland uh, pursuing Alec Petrangelo? Let's say the number is eight. I mean, there's a chance, but you're definitely like, man, I mean, like chase on Athanasiu, probably Benning, like are all gone. Probably. Um, I mean, Russell moves out for sure. It has to be. Yeah. Larson. I mean, I think too. that, I, I do think that uh, Bouchard and or Broberg is making the team this year. Yeah. But, um, oh, man. Like, yeah. I mean, I'd be happy to have Petra, obviously. But but like you said, like that's defining a window for sure. You're tying yeah. up that money on the back end. One of the <laughs> things I, I had posed this question to the network on our group chat and kind of got different responses some some people thought it was possible some people didn't think it was but what i had said was do you think there's any chance guys like petro krug hall like those high-end guys do you think they sign with a contender with cap space i.e colorado for like two years or three years knowing that the cap is likely going to go up after that and then try and go and get another long-term contract for another five or six seasons with money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I guess it depends on the players and how confident they are that they can continue their level of performance for another two or three years. Like if I'm Petro and Colorado approaches me and they say, Hey, we'll give you $8 million heavy bonus for three seasons, 8 million a year. Like, that's a great situation for him to continue his production as long as he stays healthy. And obviously, him and his camp are the only yeah, ones. Yeah, but that... he's getting offered $8 million a year for longer than that. They'd have to be a bigger deal than that. Yeah, I just don't know, but it's $8 million a year, so less security, but a chance to get more than that on your next deal. So let's say he plays three years. 
So he's 32. Yeah, fair. And then if the cap goes up with COVID, goes hopefully up not million. being a thing. Yeah. A lot of the bad contracts that teams signed pre-flat cap are going to be off the books or closer. So, I mean, it's one of those things. Like, I personally, I don't see it happening. But if, from the fan perspective, I'd love to see, like, as much as I don't want to go against a Colorado juggernaut that's even better than they are now, I'm if I'm Colorado, I'm looking at that and I'm like, we've got a young defense. They're already really good. Why don't we add a game-changing veteran defenseman that can help the development of these guys, push some of our young team out a little bit further down the lineup, still have them be impact players, and go after a Petrangelo or a Tory Krug. Now, I prefer Petrangelo for Colorado's situation just because I think their offense is fairly set. And Krug probably gives you a little bit more on the offensive side, but doesn't give you gives you less than Petra on the defensive side. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I can see Colorado going after a defenseman or a goalie, excuse me. And I know they've also got uh, Landis Cog to resign next summer. And then McKinnon's absolute bargain of a deal i think is up in three years i believe um so i mean that obviously changes things oh and then obviously mccarr in two years um yeah mckinnon's up in three years they've got ranton and locked up uh Caudry's up in two years landis Cogs next year um but anyways i'm, I'm really curious how that situation is going to play out with petro with krug some of those guys and what they decide to do whether they go just the secure route, sign a seven-year deal with somebody, maybe take less money than they would have got if COVID had never hit, but just have that security and and make the best of a shitty situation. Or if they roll the dice and, you know, take the gamble and try and go after the money in the future. But I I personally, I mean, I don't see Petro coming here, but stranger things have happened. This, with this, um, financial situation that we keep talking about i think some teams are going to have some opportunities to not have to pay full value for some pretty big impact players so it's just a matter of does ken holland believe in the group he has or does he want to make some big splashes and try and take advantage and and like i said with the with the players roll the dice himself um the other thing Kyle, is uh, you had kind of mentioned it before. Athanasiu. So this is something that was an absolute kick to the groin for me, um, being a big Athanasiu stan, as well as spending $250 on a goddamn official <laughs> Athanasiu jersey. But reports coming out that the Oilers are looking at moving him to free up some cap space. So we also have a Twitter poll that's pretty much split down the middle. Um when this podcast drops, if you listen to it Monday morning, that, uh, that, um, sorry, that poll will still be active. So if you'd like to vote on it, feel free to take a look at that, but it's pretty much split right down the middle right now, whether they should keep him or trade him knowing full well that you may not get, you know, the equivalent of what we paid for him with the two second round picks. So Kyle, I'm going to turn to you here. What do you think they should do? And what do you think will happen with AA if those two things are different? Well, I mean, luckily he's an RFA, so we don't really have to do it immediately. Well, I mean, other people are going to be able to to sign him, right? If we don't qualify him, correct? Correct. So you would have to, to keep yeah. his rights, you would have to quali- qualify him with a one-year, $3 million contract. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I mean, I would let him sit and wait for a bit because at least if somebody takes him you're getting something back because he is still an rfa um with an offer sheet right or is that yeah. sorry correct me is that still you have to qualify him for an offer sheet to take an effect it doesn't right he just yeah so if, still part of so pretty much how it yeah. works with rfas so they would qualify him at one year three million and then his mm-hmm. rights whether he accepts that right away or not typically rfas don't um which in this case, with Athens you having a down year, might actually accept that right. But if we, but, but if anyways, we don't once he's qualified, yeah. he would be an RFA once free agency opens. Teams can offer him contracts, and then that's when the compensation would kick in if he accepted gotcha. any of those contracts. Or um, what is the compensation for for that? 
Um, so if they, let's say they, um, sorry, I'm just going to look this up really quick. Um, From 2.1 to 4.3 is one second round pick. So you'd get one of the picks back that we lost. Sorry, what? Say the salary number again there. It's uh, 2.18 million to 4.36 million. So somebody offered him 4.36 million, which is unlikely to happen. But, but I mean, I'm sure he'll go for more than 2.1. That, or you get a second. Otherwise, round it's back. a third round below that till 1.4. And no one's going to offer him that because, I mean, yeah, his qualifying offer is yeah. higher than that. Um, yeah. so, interesting. I mean, so, I personally, I, mean, you I don't could see let someone him offering him more Because than you're three. getting at least half back and at least plan somewhat. If you can get a Petro, then, you know, obviously he has to be left out. But again, like we talked last week, I'd be happy to bring him back here for another season at one year, even at $3 million. The kid played 13 games here and... Sure, he didn't click in right away, but I don't know. I mean, obviously, Holland sees something in the kid. He drafted him. He went out and found him and got him back here. It, it's just uh, one of those things, Kyle, to yeah. me that, like, so obviously, you can't really fault Holland because, I mean, like, this was more or less an act of God that brought us to this situation because everyone is expecting the cap to go up. It's not again. It wouldn't. It would. It would. He would be buried in the the cap inflation for sure. Like it, this this conversation wouldn't happen. And you would yeah. have way more of a sample size because he would have played another seventeen games ish or whatever was left. Mm-hmm. Well, like ten games ish, what was left in the season, and we would have went into the playoffs in a full round, not a best of five, assuming the Oilers didn't collapse at the end of the season and they made the playoffs. So it's like that. That's taking that all that out of this. I just don't. Like, I don't want to go into the sunk cost fallacy where, oh, you paid so much for this player to for get sure. the two second round picks. We've got to pay him. But for sure. You, no, you but I just think there's past. money that we can shed elsewhere on this team that we've already talked about. For right? sure. 100% yeah. agree with you. I would personally, and I again, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it, I'll cop to it right now. I, I'm an Athens U stand. I'm a big fan of him. I was stoked when we brought him in. But even with his disappointing start, he's. A proven goal scorer minus this last, he's had two down years or a down year in Detroit the year before he had a career high in goals. He's not a player that can play with anyone. He definitely, he likes to drive the play with his speed. So you've got to figure that out and give it, let him build up some chemistry. His sample size is extremely small, but you know that he's capable of that if he's able to put it over. Is it, if he's able to put it together, is it a gamble for sure? But at one year, $3 million, before I trade Athanasiu at his ultimate low value, I buy out Neil. If it, if it comes down to one of those mm-hmm. two things, and I know buying out isn't typically a good practice, we already have Pouliot on our buyout list for another year, and we have Sekera from last year for several years, I don't want to buy out Neil. But if it comes down to those two things where... Oh, we need that $3 million to bring in this impact player that we need. I buy out Neil before I trade AA. Well, AA got 30 goals two years ago. Like you said, career high. Yeah. Like $3 million for a 30 goal score, if we can get him back and find some chemistry for him, is a fucking steal. Whereas, I mean, like, do you, do you think that Neil's going to get 20 again? I don't think anybody's going to think no. that, right? Like, I, yeah. I read something. So let's talk about Neil a little bit. And right away, straight away, if we don't have to, I think we should wait another year to buy O'Neill and then add assets to try and get Seattle to take him. That That's my preference, how I'd like to see that played out. Whether that's possible or not, no fucking clue. I don't know. Seattle might laugh at that and say, no, we're taking Caleb Jones or we're, we're taking one of these other guys. But, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. With, with Neil, I read some, I was reading an athletic article. It was either by Willis or Low Tide. It was uh, Willis talking about why we should buy out Neil. And one great article, but he was saying how Neil had like a career high of a 19% shooting percentage and he scored at a lesser five on five rate than Alex Chieson. Meanwhile, he makes like three over 3 million more than he does. Mm -hmm. So are we really expecting Neil who yes, produced on the power play, 
But another fun little stat here, our power play as a group scored better with Chieson on that power play than Neil. Neil scored better than Chieson on the power play individually, but our power play production increased when Neil was off our power play. His shooting percentage was stupid high. Career high, it was like 6 or 7% higher than he shoots on average. So all of those things, plus Neil probably having a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, it kept coming from Calgary and being a little bit kicked through the dirt there. All of those signs are pointing to him not returning to that production. Like personally, I don't think there's any way Neil scores 20 goals next year unless he spends the whole year on power play one. So are we really looking at that where it's like, if we really need money at five on five, he's a fourth liner and, and looked fine in the small sample size at the end of the year, playing on the fourth line with Kara and chase on and in the playoffs. So, I mean, I'm not trying to shit on Neil here. I like him as a player, but if we need money, that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is actively shop Chris Russell. And and I've, we've talked about other episodes, the negatives of that, but I think that's a gamble you have to make if you need the money. So I really don't know why. And at the end of the day, these are just reports. They could be complete bullshit. Who knows? But if these reports are true, I have no idea why Ken Holland is looking at the 25 year old former 30 goal scorer at $3 million looking to move him out at his all time low value and not look, and then meanwhile, going around and saying, oh, we're not going to make any buyouts, we're not going to buy out Neil, and we're not going to, I mean, he didn't say this, but no reports coming out that they're actively shopping Chris Russell. So I don't, I just look at this and I'm like, I much prefer the other two options over trading Athanasius rights. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, 100% agree. Like, 100% agree. I just... Yeah, I just don't see any benefit in it right now. Like, yes, the sunk cost fallacy that people are talking about, like, you know, that uh, we paid two second round picks for him. Like, we can't just expect him to get back there. But I mean, like, it's kind of the same thing with like paying $6 million for Lucic or, or Neil, too. But it's like, I don't, I don't know, dude. It, uh, it, yeah, it, I just, it's exactly yeah. it. Like, you don't want to go into the sunk cost fallacy, but at the end of the day, there's other indicators there, in my opinion, as to yeah, why exactly. you should take that risk exactly. other than just yeah. what you paid for them. Exactly, yeah. But that does factor in when it's like, if you're talking about trading two second-round picks, and then, like, I guess at the end of the day, just if it he walks and goes has get for Athens to you. If he like, walks if and goes has success somewhere else, which it's very likely that he would, right? Like... Again, like you said, he's 25 years old. He's had success in Detroit, which is, you know, a horrible team with no teammates. But for sure, I I could see him having a a bounce back season next year, for sure. And then how does that move look, right? We lost two second round picks and let a kid fucking walk. I'm honestly concerned that Athens U is going to be a part of a package for Matt Murray. And Athens U is going to work out very well for Pittsburgh. And we're going to give Matt Murray five and a half million dollars. And, mm-hmm. and we're going to have, you know, goalies making $10 million. Yeah. for That's what I'm honestly scared of. For above average, but not spectacular goaltending. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. looking at the, the relative save percentage for Murray. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I looked it up. He had two really good years and two down years. And he's had several injuries. I, I don't think he's a bad goalie. I'd love to have him at three and a half million, four million dollars. Or if you, or if you, I'd, I'd be happy having him at $5 million if you sign him on the, through free agency, but he's an RFA. He's got all the advantages of, I believe he has arbitration rights and he, he's got all the advantages to make more than he deserves. And he's injury prone and he's had mm-hmm. two bad years mm-hmm. and he plays behind a Pittsburgh defense that the last four years is better substantially than, better than ours. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, I don't like it. I don't like that at all. But anyways, so I, before we transition here and talk a little bit about the prospects as one of our last topics, I do want to add, I know this is a um, controversial topic. Not controversial, but people are divided on a little bit. So if you're listening and you're like, why is John being stupid here? I totally disagree with him. Call in to 587-415-2894, leave us a voicemail, or 
I'm going to extend this invitation. If you'd like to come on our show for a brief three or four minutes and discuss this on our next episode, send us a Twitter DM, send us an Instagram DM, let us know. And we'd love to have you on. So I don't, you know, I don't think anyone's going to have the balls to jump in on that, but I, you know what? I welcome that challenge. If anyone has a legitimate argument why they disagree with me, I'm not going to be an asshole about it. I'd love to hash that out. Um, Getting worked up this episode, Kyle. I'm fired up. I had I had a mocha it's before. Right now. What are you about mocha? to say? Like, fuck. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to attack our listeners. I'm ready. What is? Can you continue with what you're about to say? Because I'm have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> is that is that my cue to transition? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's dip into the prospect situation a little bit overseas. Um, I'd watched the. On YouTube, um, Odd Man Rush, who covered the Boston Bruins last year on the network and runs a fucking fantastic YouTube channel. We've talked about that a lot. Anyways, with his Europuck podcast, um, they were talking about some of the prospects going overseas and which made me kind of want to dive into it and, and look into it a little bit more. So first off with Broberg, um, they didn't specifically talk about him, but I didn't catch his first season opening game this last week. But I did read up a little bit on it, and apparently he looked really good in the season opener. Started on the top pair, which is a great sign in the SHL. Played over 21 minutes, scored on a one-timer on the power play, and added two assists. So last year he was played in a more of a defensive role and a little bit more sheltered. So it's really great to see him get on the power play and get a more prominent role where like his time on ice nearly doubled in the first game over the average last year. So... um I don't know if you have anything to add. You, you mentioned with, with Broberg thinking him or Bouchard are likely going to be on our team next year. Um, I, I'm still thinking it's Bouchard um, and Broberg is likely going to take another year. But man, like we were worried about this kid getting drafted when, when he was drafted and um, a little bit over a year when we started podcasting, that was one of our first episodes. And now Kyle, I mean, his, his draft plus one year development has definitely been trending up, which is fucking awesome to see. Cause even though I think we've got some really good D prospects, adding another guy that might be a top, you know, a top four, a top two, or maybe even a top one defenseman with his skating and his puck moving ability is, is something that's going to be huge for this team in the future. Wouldn't that be so nice to see something like that develop from within? And I mean, and a true number one defenseman, if just one of them, can Love can it. get to that level. Like I know Clefbaum obviously is is up there for sure, but I think he's not a no, I think he's Clefbaum's a number one defenseman in the league when he's healthy. Mm-hmm, he's but not, not like a like top an 10 elite. defenseman, obviously. Yeah. He's not like a franchise mm-hmm. number one defenseman, though. Mm-hmm. He'd be like Clefbaum is your number two is a super strong pairing. No doubt. But yeah, man. And then this is the the other thing with the with the change of leadership with the Oilers this, you know, a year and a half. Um, so much more faith in Holland doing the right thing. And, you know, don't get me wrong, if Broberg's ready, come on in. But awesome that we have that faith, or I do anyways, where he's not going to be the Shirelli or the Lowe or the McTavish or the Tambellini going, oh, we really need defensive help. This guy's looking really good in the SHL. How about a top four role, Broberg, right away? You know, and force yeah, them into well, an and again, like Holland did come from Detroit, where they had a history of actually developing their players properly. So you would think that when they do get called up, that they will be ready. Obviously, there's more people in the system than just Holland making that call. That was you know happening back in Detroit, but yeah, but it was still his system, right? So. Absolutely. I mean, he yeah, he was definitely a major part of that. And I mean, right. there was things that happened before he was there that. That or before he was in the GM role, that obviously mm-hmm. influenced that. Influenced that substantially, but I mean, the guy's mm-hmm. got the experience, and and it's quite, quite, you know, adds a lot of confidence um, for for us. Obviously, with this history, um, Kyle, I just when I was checking our Twitter polls there, um, quick pivot before we talk about Raphael Lavoie, um, Elliot Friedman tweeted out just a couple hours ago, um, add another team player to the goalie market. Detroit and Jimmy Howard 
Howard, 36, said he was probably not going to continue with the Red Wings, but squashed rumors he was retiring, saying someone is going to have to tell tell me I can't play anymore, excuse me. And that last year is not the way he wants to finish his career. He added he's been training for two months in preparation and that he's discussed with his family the possibility of moving away for a year. If someone close to home is not, or somewhere close to home is not an option. I can't read. So my apologies on that butchering that. Um, the reason I bring that up is Oilers Nation retweeted and said, please no, Ken, thank you. Um, I don't think that's super likely, but obviously with that former Ken Holland tie, another guy, he, he he fits the bill of, I mean, he's 36 years old, so he's a little bit younger than Smith. Maybe you bring him in as your 1B on a probably a fairly cheap contract because he had an awful year behind an awful team in Detroit. Um it, it's not a knock out of the park, but probably a fairly low risk financially wise move. And then after that, you have a decision of, do you bring Konovalov over once his KHL contract expires next summer? But I don't know. You and I, when we were talking about goalies, when we resumed, I don't know if you remember that call, but we were looking at through all the, the upcoming free agents and Jimmy Howard's numbers were fucking atrocious, but it's oh, so dude, hard he- to like analyze a guy playing on that bad of a team. Yeah. He had like uh, four goals against average and didn't get a win for like the first 20 games or something. Right. Yeah. He had like like a stretch where his record was like two and 26 or some shit. Two and like an over three, two 23 and two, two 32, two 23 and two. Is that what he went last year? That was yeah. 1920. 27 games played two 23 and two. What was his save percentage and goals against average? It's going to be bad. Uh, 420 blaze it, save percentage, and uh, 0.882. Or sorry, uh, 420 goals against, four and uh, 882 save percentage. Oh, yikes. Yeah. I mean, hey, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's definitely bad. like a bounce back candidate. Because like, I don't think Jimmy Howard's a great goalie at this stage in his career, but there's no way he's that bad. Like, right? Like, there's no way he's actually that bad. That's got to have a lot to do with Detroit. But I digress. I mean, you would we're hope, not gonna... yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would hope that has a lot to do with the team in front of them. And if not, like, I feel bad for you, dude, but like, retire, like, or go play overseas or something if you want to keep playing. But that's just, whew, those are yikes numbers. Um, I could see a team signing him to a two way and letting him play in the AHL and proving himself that he could take a shot again. But I mean, like, he would be a backup. Yeah. Back. I mean, yeah. even a one way where, because he's going to have to clear wa- waivers anyways, even on a two-way. Yeah. So I could see him getting a one-way deal where he still makes the full money in the AHL. But like you said, kind of have it below the variable number, which I believe is like 1.075 million. 1.115 maybe? Don't quote me. Somewhere in there. Sign like just below that. So if he's not like, if he's that 420, 882 goaltender for the first yeah, 10 games in your 1B role, you bury that dude. <laughs> Um, okay. Back on track. Raphael Lavoie. So his contract, he was sent loan to the SHL and something no one really saw coming, at least from what I saw. So him and the team terminated his contract right before puck drop, which was a clause in that contract of their first game. So it's not clear which side ended it, whether it was the SHL team, like Rogel, I am sure it's pronounced differently, or if it was Lavoie himself. Now, my question to you, Kyle, is this cause for concern or is this just something where, hey, maybe it wasn't a great fit. He's just going to go somewhere else. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've heard or seen no issues with him for his personality in the past, right? So I would give the kid the benefit of the doubt that, yeah, it wasn't a fit or, I mean, maybe considering COVID and stuff, he just wanted to be with his family. Like, I, who knows? Like, what's going on with him personally, but I, I wouldn't yeah. hold anything against him for that choice. I'm not saying you're completely wrong. Cause that's always a factor you have to like consider. I just think if he wanted to be with his family, he probably wouldn't have agreed. He to wouldn't have chosen yeah, the SHL to begin with for sure. That being but said, yeah, maybe, maybe he just didn't like thought... adjusting to life in Europe. And exactly. And yeah. Maybe it was something where he <laughs> thought he would like it. He's yeah. there for a week in training camp and just really struggling. And he's like, ah, fuck this. I'm out. Um, yeah. So the reason I brought up the the Europuck podcast is they had specifically talked about Lavoie and um, 
as well as Bouchard, but didn't get into great detail about him. They just kind of mentioned him. But one of the big takeaways for me listening to those guys, and man, those guys know their shit when it comes to European leagues. So they were talking about how a lot of fans in the North in North America, that we kind of discount the European leagues, which obviously it's not on the NHL level. But when you look at the NHL as, for instance, like the top 200-ish players in the world, when you look at the KHL and the SHL, as the next back thing, backs, ugh, the next best thing, excuse me, that rounds out the top 500 or so players in the world. So when you look at a 19-year-old player going over there, I don't think it's a huge cause for concern, especially with the, the SHL. Like Bouchard, for instance, went over to Elsvenskan. Again, I forgive my pronunciation, but that's the Swedish second league. And Broberg plays in the top league in Sweden, but he was also groomed through that system. So on one hand, I'm not super concerned about this. The only thing I really worry about is that a lot of Euro teams have been taking on large quantities of these loans. So I'm a little bit worried with Lavoie and the Oilers kind of committing his contract to this team. Now they've waited until the season started in the SHL Other seasons are firing up in the next four to six weeks with um, like the Dell and all the other European leagues and La Liga, everything like that. Now I'm kind of worried how many of these teams are going to be looking to bring in another loan because I don't really care where he ends up. Well, I think Lavoie is probably most likely playing in the AHL when it restarts here in November, no? Well, because I believe when they had sent him over, Lavoie was going to stick there for the full year. Now, with that being terminated, it, you know, it gets into this when, like, is the AHL going to kick off? Because it'd be it'd be really nice if they could find a team in Europe where, because he hasn't, Lavoie hasn't been playing since COVID hit, since the, since the Q and, and AHL shut down. So, a lot of AHL players won't be doing that either, though. I mean, for sure, but a lot of those AHL, like, as far as, like, AHL players that are, legit just AHL players and they're not prospects. Yeah, they've been sitting, but Lavoie isn't an AHL player. He's a no, NHL he's a prospect. prospect. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think just he needs to get on the ice. So what I'd really like to see happen is they find a backup plan, even if it's maybe in a lesser league, like Osvenskan or any of those other leagues, um, and just get him, even if it's a short-term loan, where he has an out clause of when the AHL slash NHL kicks off, he comes back. Because there's been a lot of reports rumoring that um, NHL not, might not be starting until January. Like they're already kind of judging it and no official word has come out. But there's a lot of in the know people discussing that that's a very real possibility that it doesn't start till the new year. And you might be pay, playing a 42 or 52 game season. Oh, that's and I mean, if the NHL is not firing up, I, I don't think there's any way the AHL does. The AHL's already starting December fourth, like they've announced that. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's tentative, man. I don't, I don't think that's well like, for sure. Agreed, like but I mean, plan, there's no I official announced well date for next season for the NHL yet, right? Like the AHL is planning to play whether the NHL is or not at this moment. Well, I mean, again, COVID dependent, and I think the NHL mm-hmm. was shoot like they had a date of December first, did they not? For training camps to open. Or was it the end of November and then start December playing games? Anyways, like I know the NHL had a, a quote unquote date as well. It's just all like very tentative. But I mean, who knows? You very well may be right. Maybe the AHL runs, even if the NHL doesn't. I just can't imagine where like the NHL is big enough where they've got those TV contracts. They've got enough to at least still lose money, but not be able to scrape by playing without fans. I. Personally, and again, I'm I'm not, you know I'm no business whiz or economics whiz, but I I just can't see the AHL playing if they don't have fans, unless they get some type of financial help from the NHL. But I don't see the NHL fucking volunteering to do that either. I, I don't know, man. I could be I could be very well wrong there. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some sort of support from the NHL, but it won't be like carrying the entire league. They're going to have to figure out something bubble-wise too. I think their discussion I mean, was they, the last It's the cheaper I, way to do it. You have to do it that way. Well, exactly. You cut down on travel. Yeah. You do, And yeah. I mean, 
yeah, you don't have fans, but at least you're minimizing the travel costs. I, I had, I think I actually talked about this on air, so I'm going to take credit for this, but I had seen a report of, um, they're discussing and looking at potentially having, um, like regional bubbles. So like either divisional or you've got eight bubbles set up with like four teams and they all play each other like twice. So you're only traveling every like two or three weeks kind of thing. Um, that's obviously not confirmed or like they're not necessarily moving ahead with that plan. But I did see a report that they were discussing that, which I like from the outside looking in, I think that's one of the best options they have. We yeah. last, I, I don't know, man. Like it's all, yeah, it's, it's, it depends on the next couple months. We're still in September right now. Yeah. And as we talked about earlier, like cases are going up around us. So they're yeah, saying they in the, the West too. The like I talked wave. to my, who, who knows? Yeah. Some friends in, in BC and Alberta, I know their cases were going up as well. So, and some family out there. So, I mean, and obviously the States is in the situation the States is in. So I, I, I don't like speculating on this, like when they're going to start or anything. Cause I mean, we're, we're in a year that we're in era year, whatever you want to call it, where we, we should learn by now that, predicting what's going to happen in the next two, three months is probably not a great idea. Like just nobody fucking knows anything. Um, I, uh, I do want to add, um, just this one last topic with us. Uh, so the award show is on Monday. Um, definitely going to be checking that out. Dry settle is up for the Ted Lindsay and the heart. Uh, I mean, I think we're both in agreement where we think he should win both. I know obviously fans around the NHL have, um, either favorites on the other side critiques of dry sidle. I mean, Hey, I'll be straight up. I'm a Homer. Kyle, you're a Homer. Like I think dry sidle deserves both the point production, the impact he had on our team. Uh, we made the playoffs the way he stepped up with McDavid without McDavid out, uh, with McDavid coming off injury, proving that he can anchor his own line. Shall I go on improving his PK ability? Like the dude, Yeah, but he played for the Oilers. I think Panarin gets it. What's that? I'm just kidding. I said I think I think he played for the Oilers, so I don't think he gets it. Panarin will get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we technically didn't make the playoffs, so doesn't that make him exempt? I'm surprised he even got fucking nominated. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I know. I know. Yeah. So last thing, the other thing I wanted to talk about with the awards, um, he was in Macar with the Calder. So these are two of the, in recent memory, the most prolific rookie seasons from both defensemen, and. This is going to be a close ass vote. Now, do you lean one way or the other? Because I'm, I maybe lean one way a little bit, but I, who you got, man? Or do you think it's a coin flip? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Sorry, I was I was reading something on the the. Uh, the do I have your here. attention now? Yeah. God, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. Um, Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr? Who you got oh, in the cold? Um. Well, first off, I know it's not the battle of the two, but Heiskanen's the best of those three. Um, but for the rookie, I'm going with Hughes. I know that McCarr, like what they McCarr put up 50 points in like six less games, and Hughes put up 53, something like that. I think they are like fairly close. Yes, and I believe so the trend from the top of my head, Kale started a lot hotter, but. The like last half of the season, Hughes was outscoring McCarr, from my understanding. Yeah, I I mean McCarr's an incredible defenseman. Don't get me wrong, and he will have a great career. Um, but I think that Hughes is just the more complete, full package defenseman. His uh, his play on both sides of the ice is just phenomenal, right? Like he his his level of maturity, how he runs the power play, is insane for a nineteen, about to be twenty year old. Like yeah, unreal. I, I, I'm pretty close to coin flip on this one. I do think that, I don't know if people will value this like I do. I lean towards Hughes as well for the, I think you made some really good points there, Kyle, but it's so close, but with the Calder and you know, the, the spirit of that award being the rookie of the year. Yes. They're both rookies, but I lean Hughes because he's a full year younger and I think, in my opinion, that has some sway. Just a very slight amount of sway. I know there's going to be a lot that'd of people be so that completely sweet disagree if that with that. was a thing when McDavid was up for it with Panarin well, when he was 24. 
that's exactly it. Like, I, don't get me wrong, Panarin had a great season, but it's like, bro, you're 24. You were playing in a professional league for like six years before you came to the NHL. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're a rookie, but you're like... Define rookie, like, yeah. That's yeah, ridiculous. I just... I don't know. Personally, I don't think anyone over the age of like 21 or 22 should be eligible for that award. But, mm-hmm. you know, that that's just me. And I mean... A rookie is a rookie. If you haven't played in the NHL or you you haven't burned a year of eligibility in the NHL, you're you're technically a rookie. So, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, that's just where I'm at personally. But anyways, is there anything else you would like to add, Kyle, before we wrap up here? No, sir. Just looking forward to a good Stanley Cup final, eh? Um, Pretty much. Yeah. I We've been doing all these like Netflix talks considering it's uh, you know, the off season. I watched the Challenger series on Netflix, thoroughly enjoyed it. If anybody's like a space junkie or into rockets or anything like that, and NASA stuff and SpaceX and all that stuff, being someone that wasn't born when that incident happened, it was uh it was really interesting watching it all play out and uh definitely well made. So that's my that's my recommendation for the week. Um but yeah, that will wrap <laughs> up. Check it out. Yeah, you better you better check it out. You you probably still haven't watched the social dilemma, have you? No, I haven't. No, I've been I've been checking out away has been the show I've been watching right now. You know, it makes me feel Another like you don't value one. my opinion when you don't listen to my recommendations, Kyle. Just saying. <laughs> Maybe you don't, but hey, I'll take the hint, buddy. Um, anyways, that wraps up another episode of the Oil Country Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Feel free to call into that number, leave a voicemail, text, DM us on Twitter, um, or tweet at us, DM us on Instagram, any of that jazz. If you'd like to reach out, pose a question for the show. Oh, damn. Phone's popping off. I was on Do Not Disturb. I'm sorry about that. Anyways, have a great week, everybody. Stay safe, and we will catch you next Monday. See ya.